The Forum at 8 on SAFM. It's nine minutes after eight. You're listening to The Forum at 8 today with myself, Dasha Mali. Thank you very much for joining us today. Your SMSs are still coming in. Thank you very much to those of you who are writing in on 34701. You can continue to do, do so. Uh, earlier in the show, we talked about Bafana Bafana and Fakil Mbulula's comments about uh, Bafana. He's saying he's not having sleepless nights. Perhaps uh, Monib Joseph's is, according to Gavin Hunt. Uh, this comes in unsigned. At some stage, somebody had to tell Bafana Bafana, as it is. Even the president joked about it in Parliament a little while ago, so saying that uh, Bafana Bafana, oh, well, that's an unfinished SMS, unfortunately. Uh, Tsepo writing in about uh, employers will always plead unaffordability when they should honor what they have agreed upon. Correctional Services Department has to pay the employees after signing contracts back in 2007. Watch out, you're next, says Tsepo. And Mojo Remani is saying Matunjo and Amku must wake up and think big. Well, all of that because the big story of the day, the one that's going to be on all news broadcasts and all of the newspapers, of course, Amku around 100,000 of their members expected to protest today in the platinum sector and you expect it to get updates uh, as that progresses. It's an indefinite strike, so we don't know when it's going to end. I just got this SMS now from Munieda saying that the only way to keep our children safe, bring back the death penalty. And why did Munieda write that in? Well, that's because it's the topic on the forum today. Today, we're asking you this morning, why can't we keep our kids safe and how do we do that? If you're at home and you're doing something in your community, we want to hear about it. Share with us what projects you're undergoing, what programs you have for children in your community, for your own child. How do you protect them from uh, sort of the harsh realities of our world? And is it, the question that I have, do we not hold human life sacred anymore? Is it just my life that's sacred? Have we shrunk that personal security safety barrier that we used to have, which we extended to our neighbors, the kids down the road? We used to protect everyone from harm. We used to ask those kids, where are their parents? What are they doing? Now we don't even seem to care. We drive into our yards, lock up our cars in our garage, get into our house, and we just care about what's happening in our close circles. No longer do we extend that personal protection. Uh, protection circle to everyone around us. And really, if we remember the African principles of Ubuntu, it takes a village to raise a child. So let's talk about that today. As a village, how can we keep our children safe? And we've got some great guests uh, on the line to talk to us today. Shortly, we'll be joined by Dr. Shahida Omar, the clinical director at the Teddy Bear Clinic. But joining me in my Johannesburg studio right now, Sherry Ann Kramer, research psychologist. Sherry Ann, thank you very much for joining us today. Good morning. Morning. It's my pleasure. So, I mean, I don't know. Am I just launching on a bit of a tirade here? But... Are we doing enough to to protect our kids? And when you read the sad stories of, of, of a child that falls down a pit latrine and has to die from that, why? Because we're providing flushing toilets in that school, but only the teachers can use it. And now suddenly we're sending in more flushing toilets. Negligence is still violence, isn't it? Of course. Um, and just to build on what you were saying about valuing hum- humanness and others, I think that's a key factor. In South Africa, we've learned that life is exchangeable for a cell phone. So it would be unsurprising if that didn't extend to our childhood population. Um, and I don't think children are outside of the crime, the violence, the injuries that characterize our country. And, I mean, we know that children in South Africa are more exposed to things like burns, um, poisoning, drowning. It's not just crime. It's not just kind of the traffic injuries mm. that we see, you know, being publicized. It's smaller issues as well, and they might not be as often in occurrence, but the truth is it's much more than other places in the world. And the question is why? Sure, but I think that, 
you know, it is a, a the problem is about valuing other people's lives. But I think it's a much bigger picture, you know, the structure of our society where we have children hitting up homes on their own and making decisions that children are not capable of making at that point in their lives. We have children-headed households, parents who are absent due to AIDS, parents who are absent due to migrant labor. And the structure of our society is that, you know, the youth are bringing up themselves along with children younger than themselves. Um, and there are just no structures to keep them safe. So at a macro system, such as a schooling system, which we were just referring to, there aren't the actual physical infrastructures to keep them safe. But on an emotional and supportive level as well, they're just not being supported by family strengthening ties and community ties. So all those things you're referring to, I don't think you're on a tangent at all. I think mm. you're spot on. 34701, if uh, you'd like to share your experiences, what we can do as a community. And, and I guess the reason that I'm asking that, Sherian, is because at, at times like these, when we hear of these shocking stories, we, we, we look, open up the newspapers, we see a nine-year-old child that's, that's raped, that's mm-hmm. strangled, that's left to die, you know, the, the assailant through, through paraffin, through petrol on the body and tried to set it alight. The child still survived. Sure. And now this is a tragic story. We read the newspaper and then what do we do? Our, our only action is merely to grab that page and turn it over to the next article. Well, I mean, I think we've become so desensitized. You know, what was unfathomable a decade ago has become so much part of the discourse of our country. Another child gets raped. The word another, there's already an Mm. assumption that it's happened before and it will happen again. Um, These are ongoing stories in the cycle of South Africa, and we're on a a road where, you know, it's just becoming the, the mundane, the usual. And I think it's, it's so much part of that culture of violence that we live within and that it's just become an acceptable and normative practice in our, the way we function in South Africa. Does, does nothing shock us into acting anymore? Uh, I mean, w- what is it going to take? Is it going to be uh, some really, uh, something worse than what we've already seen? Anine Boysen, a, a, a young girl who was raped and disemboweled, left to die mm-hmm. out in the streets. It, it, you know, and, and that didn't move us to action well, any more than we have now. Well, it moved us for a day or so, mm. and there was a passionate response from, you know, a lot of South Africans. But I think South Africans feel stuck because, you know, there is an outcry and there is a, a sense of shock and a sense of we need to do something. But there doesn't seem to be the ability to shift from angry, passionate response to actual activity and engagement with community structures. And I think there's just a general sense of apathy. And it runs down from, you know, the macro-level structure of government, of school, of business, of all that, straight into the individual. So it's really like working with how do we build a community of South Africans from apathy to we care, to we value each other as humans. 0891 Give me a call right now. When I asked this question earlier on, is there something that we can do as a community? What can we do? How can we hear more about projects that are helping to protect the safety of our children? You, you heard the first SMS sure. I read there. That was mm. the first thing that we received on this topic is bring back the death penalty. Now, that's, that's the, the knee-jerk response, and it, it's almost a disempowering mm. statement, isn't it? Because do something that I don't have the power personally sure. to do, but what power do I have? Well, you see, I think that you know, saying bring back the death penalty is, again, saying I'm not responsible. Let mm. a bigger structure be responsible, you know, the judicial system or whatever it might be. Someone else take care yes. of my kids. Somebody else you exactly. know, ensure that I'm getting paid properly. Somebody else fix the problems. But I do think that the answer is that we're all responsible. And to look at it from a top-down approach is not helpful. We know that it doesn't work. We have to start working at grassroots level and building up bottom-up. So I think it is about building a community 
community ties with in small spaces initially like within the family and then extend that within the schooling system and then into the community systems um, and then hopefully into the cities and the, and, and the broader country um, but it is about building community ties um, community membership you know a sense of I belong to something I'm important in this community therefore my children are important and valued um, and that sense of community ties and community responsibility really um, means that I am responsible for my neighbor's child as much as I'm responsible for my own child and for ensuring the safety of a child. I mean, in the communities in South Africa, there is so much absent adultness that you see a two-year-old toddler walking across the road with barely anyone glancing. Mm. Um, well, that's really the mm. problem. That's how young children go missing mm. in our communities, and people say, well, we didn't see anything. Well, mm. no one was on the lookout for that child. The parent was busy, and no one in the community seemed sure. to care. But the catch-22 situation of that, and I know we're getting a couple callers in, so Peter, hold on the line, 891 if you'd like to call in. But the catch-22 of wanting to take care and extending that circle beyond your family is that well, perhaps, you know, your help is not wanted. Perhaps sure. the family is going to say, well, this is none of your business. That child is not yours. Should you really be, you know, stopping your car and checking where are your parents? You know, because you're going to be seen as a bit of a, a, a weirdo, of a stranger doing that in front of your kids. See, I always go back to the example of um, <clears throat> 2010 World Cup um, and where South Africa kind of forgot its culture of violence. We forgot that we're, we sometimes don't like acting as a community. We don't like to care for each other. And we just kind of let all that go. And we really acted as a United Nation. I mean, the business owner of some huge corporation was dancing on the street with a beggar, you know, and they didn't see that discrepancy anymore. It was just, you know, we are a United Nation representing something to the world. And our crime statistics in those two weeks just dropped. It was phenomenal. And, you know, when there is something else that is empowering us, we do, I mean, South Africans like to be a nation. We're a proud nation. We just forget that those underlying values of communityness. And I think that something like the 2010 triggered, you know, the potential. We saw that we have the potential. Mm-hmm. We, the potential to work together, that Ubuntu kind of feeling. We just often forget about in our daily practices. So I don't think it's not there. And I don't think that people necessarily don't care about other people or don't want people involved. I think that we were scared. We're really scared. I mean, we, we've learned to live in fear consistently. And I think that, you know, anyone who comes and offers their help, we ask, what do you want from us? You know, what do you have mm. to gain? It's not just, oh, this person wants to help me. You know, we were a scared, hyperactive, hypervigilant nation. And I think that's, you know, really develops a lot of um, bridges between yeah, people. Yeah, it's a lack of guys. trust that yeah. we have because yeah. we think everyone else has an ulterior mm-hmm. motive for why they're coming before us. Uh, I mean, you talk about 2010. I, I want to refer back to something more more recently. Nelson Mandela's death, that sure. really united us as a nation. Again, we saw young and old, rich mm. and poor, standing together and mourning the loss of a great man. And, and if we can just pay tribute to him... Listen to his words. Nelson Mandela said there, was, there can be no keener revelation of a society's soul than the way in which it treats its children. So why can't we do that? How is our own soul if we're doing these things to our children? Peter in Grahamstown, good morning. Hi, Peter. Can you hear me? Yes, we can, loud and clear. Go ahead. Yeah, look, I'm sure you'd, you'd like to be instrumental in finding a, a solution to this problem. Now, let, let me suggest to you that this, this radio program... It's far too short an hour. You're going to have a lot of emotional people thrown mm-hmm. in. You're going to have a lot of suggestions. We all basically know 
the basic reasons for the problem. Right. Uh, it all revolves around accountability, and unfortunately it's going to go back to the government, certain departments. Now, uh, what I'd like you to do is, at the end of the program, list the basic solutions and then come back to it and get the role players to, to take accountability in some way. Uh, like, for instance, the policing. Uh, there's, there's got to be much uh, stronger policing of neglect of children. For instance, children left on the beach, uh, the, the, the children who left without care who get raped. Um, it, it, it goes back to policing, but there's got to be other departments within the government, and I want you to list them and then uh, contact those particular departments and ask them what they're going to do and come back to this program. Otherwise, it's just like most of these programs on SAFM. You find those solutions. We find it very stressful mm -hmm. to listen to all this, and you come back and back to the same thing year after year without holding the actual role players. I know the general public is, is, uh, is, are the real ones to be accountable for, but life has been cheapened in this country, and every act like this, actually cheapens the country. It actually devalues our country, and it's very sad because it, it breaks down our models. It breaks down our, our, our society in, in, in South Africa. Peter, I completely agree with you, but I, I, I want to move that position from the accountability of government to, to what is our responsibility. You, you and me, what do we need to do? Yeah, but we've got to actually enforce the law because... By talking like this, you're not going to make people accountable. Uh, it, the situation is totally out of control. If you see the number of children that are being born every day and uh, the, the people dying, and as, as you know, some children mm. being left without parents, uh, it's, it's got to rest on government to, to, to actually do something about it, to make people accountable. For instance, children left neglected on the beach. Um, those people should be prosecuted because uh, I've got four daughters. We would never, ever leave one child and, and uh, just go home and say, oh, another child's been left behind on the beach. We'd expect the law to come down on us. Peter, thanks for your call there. Well, Peter makes the point. South Africans, really, we, we're seeing the unintentional loss of life in South Africa. 8,000 kids die every year due to unintentional reasons, things like falling and drowning in a pool. And, and, the, and the saddest one of all was the kid who died recently from falling in a pit latrine at his school. Accidents do happen, but in South Africa, a child has 25 times more chance of ending up in hospital due to trauma or an accident compared to a child in the UK. Why is that the case? 34701, if you'd like to write in your SMSs, why can't we keep our children safe? What do we need to do? Peter there saying we need to hold government accountable, we need to enforce the laws, but what do we need to do as citizens, as members of our communities in our little towns and cities? What can we do? I'm joined on the line now by uh, Dr. Shahida Omar, Clinical Director at the Teddy Bear Clinic. Dr. Omar, good morning. Thanks for your time. Good morning and to the listeners out there. Dr. Omar, what, what, what is your answer to this question? Why can't we keep our children safe and, and how should we do that? Well, I think, you know, the, it's a shared responsibility, it's a collective responsibility. You know, the, the cliched response where it takes a village to raise a child. And I think everybody should be everybody's business to ensure the safety and protection of children starting off at home. Primarily, the primary caregivers need to ensure that their children are safe at all times, be it a baby, be it an older child, be it an adolescent. They need to ensure that they are aware in whose care their child is entrusted at all times. And I think previously and even currently we find that we are basing everything on trust, and that can no longer be the case. You know, we've always in the past 
sort of stranger danger, but it's no longer mm. the stranger danger. It's people that are closely connected or who have access to children, and those are the dangerous elements that one needs to be more vigilant about or well, hyper vigilant. And, and that makes one, that makes, you know, that could make one even more distrustful, even more afraid of opening up and, and sharing your, your circle of safety with others. Because if, if you know that, uh, you know, the perpetrators of violence against children are most, most likely those who are known to the family, how, how are you supposed to feel safer with, with the stranger or with your neighbor? How are you supposed to trust the guy down the road who says, no, I'll, I'll make sure your kids are safe while they're playing on the street? How can we trust them when we can't trust our uncles and aunts? Indeed, and what we urge caregivers to actually look out for is not to entrust their children or leave their children in the care of any neighbor, any friend for any period of time. I mean, if we just look at our statistics, the incidence and prevalence of the abuse that has occurred in the past few months, we can see that these are people that uh, you know, children have been left in their care or children have been exposed to them. And with older children, we should also not allow children to accept any gifts or bribery or tokens or even be allowed to go and purchase bread, cigarettes or anything from the shops and actually go into the rooms of these people that have requested that because I think those are also risk factors. Also, leaving a child in another room with another adult or adolescent is another huge risk factor. We know the reality of socioeconomic circumstances where people are living in overcrowded situations, and these are risk factors because children are often left unsupervised and unattended to due to financial constraints and working responsibilities. And again, we need to ensure that children are monitored at all times who they are, where they are, and they should always be visible or actually be reachable to ensure that they are not exposed to any risky situations. Uh, Sharian Kramer, you heard Dr. Uh, Omar there talk about yes. it, it raises a village to raise a child. <laughs> sure. It's an old philosophy, and it's something that we've talked about for many years. Perhaps we've lost that. Is it the right approach to go back to it now? Can we really expect to go back to it when so much has changed? We've got kids with PlayStations at home, and they don't want to play outside on the streets anymore. They, they want a different kind of stimulation. Can we still be talking about a village raising a child when so much has changed in well, society? I mean, I think, firstly, you know, it does go back to what we're talking about, community accountability. Um, it also, you know, depends how we want to define village. Um, what do we mean by that? What are what are the the underlying factors that bring something like a village together? I mean, to me, words like family, friends, community, ties, um, commitments, mobilization, assets, those kind of words come to mind. And, you know, we can call it a village. We can call it a community. We, we, there are a number of words we can use, but it's really about a group of people, whether that be an NGO or an actual community structure or just a group of people who care, who are able to support, you know, bringing children's safety into, in, in South Africa. And I think we do need to start with the younger children because those are the children most at risk, you know, our 0 to 5-year-olds mm -hmm. in the country. And we do have structures like ECDs, um, Early Childhood Developmental Centers, in inside communities. But, you know, they don't have the resources. So, again, then we say, oh, it's government's fault. But 
there are creative ways to create to, to develop those resources. I've seen communities where they build their own vegetable gardens and you know sell that produce to build up ECDs, and those vegetable gardens also feed the children. Well, let's talk about the pit latrines. You know? The community went exactly. into the it went to the school and have torn down those pit latrines now. Governments brought in new flushing toilets, mm-hmm. and they're promising more money to be thrown out. So there, there was a way of dealing with it, sure. and community action actually started the process. But you know, there's also a fine line because you know. What happens is a community acts because the police aren't, and then some there's a rapist in a community, and the community takes action against that rapist. Then who's the criminal? Well, so Kutsung is one example of where so blurred, you know. Um, the community wants to is saying, "Well, you tell us to take accountability. We're acting, mm. and we might be acting in a violent way, but we're responding to a violent situation." Uh, the police are absent. But then, you know, who is responsible for that violent act? And is it violence if it's a response to violence? There are all these questions that I think South Africa is just characterized by so many competing variables. Well, I think you've opened up a discussion there. What kind mm. of action do we need from exactly. the community? If you're asking for action, what kind of action? Exactly. And uh, Dr. Omar and Trader Kremer and uh, um, Shireen Kremer is, is joining me in studio to talk to us about this. Your SMS is coming in. Denton and Durban, there was a very good item in the local newspaper. Bring back corporal punishment. We have gone too far with children's rights. Also, the death penalty for rapists and murderers. Maswabi Blumfontein. Talk is cheap. Mob in mob justice to those who abuse children will be all right, and to those who rape and kill must also be beaten or burned to death. This is exactly what we don't need, Maswabi. Uh, Christine and Peter Marisburg, why are we not asking how the five-year-old went to the toilet unsupervised? Why did nobody notice his long absence? Three hours, according to us on SAFM. Well, that's a great question, Christine. Sweewan Kazadan, the life of the kids in SA worth nothing. It's cheap. Minister's gone at pains to explain how life of President Zuma is unsafe, yet no minister does that about kids, says Spiwar. Unsigned, teach our children to be considerate and respectful, responsible, no room for greed. We need to ask, to talk, to listen, to hear one another and to help. Children learn from us. I'll read more of your SMSs after we get you 8.30 news headlines with Vibakshini Chetty. Six minutes now to nine o'clock. Coming up, morning talk with my colleague Rowena Bird. She's on the line right now. Rowena, good morning. How are you doing, Darshan? I'm good this morning. That's good. Coming up on morning talk today. Now, January being regarded as Education Month for obvious reasons, we once again going to feature Dr. Bladen Zimande, Minister of Higher Education and Training. He's going to be talking to us from the UK today. And this time, we're focusing on a white paper on post-school education and training, which will help millions of young people out of the doldrums of poverty. On the small business development slot today, we take a look at how to start your own business and become successful at it. We'll also catch up with the local organizing committee for CHAN and find out what the effects are of the com- on the competition of uh, Bafana Bafana being knocked out of the tournament. Will this have a bearing on filling stadia in, in Cape Town, in Bulugwane, and in Bloomfield? We'll pose those questions later. The Department of Higher Education and Training has called for stakeholders to do things differently by making every workplace a training space. We'll find out what Bank Theta is doing in this regard. And uh, finally, we'll also have a preview of the Free State Trade Investment and Tourism Promotion Symposium. The launch will be taking place in Bloemfontein on Monday, the 27th of January. And that's the show for today, Darshan. Thank you very much.
Thanks very much, Rowena Bird. Of course, that's coming up at 9 o'clock. SMS is coming through, 34701, unsigned SMS. I can see why. The only thing you do is talk and talk and analyze. You're wasting your breath. You have no solutions. Go home. At least I've got lots of breath. Uh, another unsigned SMS. I'm tired of this rhetoric. Tell me exactly what I can do to keep kids in my community safe. That's exactly where we wanted to take the discussion right now. Dr. Omar, what, can, what kind of action do we need to take? And... Would you like to respond to the, the SMS that says mob justice is the solution we need? <laughs> uh, definitely not. Mob justice is not the solution. I think the, the way forward is that child protection is everybody's business, and it should be everybody's business. It should not be my business, your business, but everybody should ensure that it's their responsibility to ensure the safety of children. So how can we keep our children safe? Of course, depending on the ages of the child, because as we heard previously, and if we look at the Medical Research Council statistics, that the high-risk age cohort, not to 10 years, looking at murder, sexual abuse, etc. So with younger children, it's going to be more the responsibility of adults to ensure that they are always overseeing and making it their business to see where their child is, who their child is with, and uh, there must be adequate monitoring and supervision. However, with children who are more older, children who have verbal skills, children about age of four, I hate to say this because I always feel that it's not the responsibility of children to ensure their safety and protection. However, under the circumstances, when children develop verbal skills, we need to teach them to become aware of safe and unsafe touches, acceptable and unacceptable behaviors, teach them about positive uh, good secrets and bad secrets, and again about people, um, you know, who are uh, luring children using uh, the modus operandi of social uh, social tokens to lure them. I think that is important to teach children not to accept gifts, not to go out on their own to wander off. It should also be the responsibility of adults to ensure the children do not disappear or even go out and play for lengthy periods. Or if, if they do go out, they need to make sure that it is within a safe environment or a safe context where they would be overseen uh, and, and not be left alone on their own. And I so to apply, apply, to apply to the grade one learner, you know, this idea of not being alone, this grade one learner who, who visited the, the, the pit latrine was alone when he went to the pit latrine. He fell in there alone. He died alone. How, how would any of this help prevent, help to have prevented that? Well, again, uh, it's important that uh, the way I understand it, when I've had interaction with the Department of Education, it is always that the uh, toilet areas are supervised, are overseen, that there are always some, there's always somebody there. So they should have some, you know, what I'm saying is that in order to ensure the safety of children, there should be, should have been somebody there. And it should not take so long to discover that the child has been missing. So a lot of, a lot of people are... There, they would have a lot of people would have said, oh, well, you know, the teachers can't be expected to be there. They, they've got, you know, 40 kids in the class. They can't be expected to walk out with every kid that needs to go to the bathroom. So who should Indeed, have been there? the teachers, well, supporting staff. They, they are, you know, the school has supporting staff, and they should have somebody assisting the educators to ensure the safety and protection of children, and more specifically in the areas of playgrounds and toilets, because we know a lot of the abuse also occurs in toilets. This was a safety issue of the child, but in other instances and incidences we've had, we have found that children have been violated and sexually abused in the toilet. So again, it is 
a, a huge risk factor, which looking at the strategy and the uh, way going forward means that there needs to be somebody there to monitor children, irrespective of whether it's a playground, whether it's a toilet, whether it's a sports field. There always needs to be somebody there. If it's not the educator, there needs to be a roster where different educators or supporting staff are given the responsibility of ensuring the safety of children from any other harm or danger, uh, falling, getting hurt, being violated, being abducted, all of those factors are risk factors which need to be given serious consideration. We'll go to the lines there at 9110428. But before we do that, your SMSs, J.A. Kamala, the human slaughter in South Africa is worse than it could ever be, ha- worse than could be done by the death penalty. People feel at ease to kill e- each other, yet they are being protected. Uh, this SMS comes in unsigned. These shocking and barbaric acts have roots in history, poverty, and unemployment. How do you create community responsibility without jobs and education? Amy Randberg, the problem is that protection, life, and death of our children are considered unimportant. It fits the category of low politics. Our problem is that we include we, including the state, go into spasms of compassion as opposed to a sustained and urgent approach to this national emergency. Victor writes in a social worker, uh, he says, speak to your neighbors, says Victor, and uh, that's uh, an SMS that comes in there. Yanis calls in from Cape Town. Good morning, Yanis. Hi, good morning. Thank you for taking my call. From the family uplift program, which I'm the director, and so we didn't wait for the government to take any action. We took the children from the Masipu Mulela, from Cape Town, close to the seashore, younger and older, and we took them for kilometers, walked them with them to the seashore beach, and we showed them how to behave in the water, how to, we trained them to swim. And, and, and we had a lot of successes because, you know, these children now, they, they saved. And what was our intention? If you learn something, pass this information to the others. And now today, when I walk around, you know, this Masipumulele, uh, I, uh, and, uh, in the shopping center, the kids and the children coming to me, and thanks to, to me, and thanks to the uh, to members that we actually, uh, you know, help them and they can survive. But talking about also the protection of the children, protection, the schools must do much more. We haven't have, have a situation where schools is closed at 2 o'clock and nothing happened, no activity. You know, at least there should be, the schools should be open and, uh, and the children should take more active, uh, 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 you know, uh, um, and not only teaching, but, you know, like creating the, of the clubs, of the interest. Uh, so it will help them and they will appreciate uh, their life and also they, they will be, uh, they will be teach, they will teach themselves how to, to protect the school because they, the school belong, belong to them, you know, so it's, mm. we have to take action and, 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 and ask the education department not close the schools at 2 o'clock but give them the chance to the kids because uh, there is no other uh, uh, rooms for the kids to, uh, to, 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 to learn anything yeah. from the social point of view. Thank you very much. A very good point there. And good luck with your work as well. Nice beach safety project they're being run in Cape Town, says in uh, Masipumalele. Let's go to Anne, then he's calling in from Mpumalanga. and good morning. Good morning. Parents good morning should... And thank uh, you for your very enlightening program. I'm glad you appreciate it. Yeah, no, they really are. They're, they're very good. Um, and the topics are great. Um, uh, my suggestion is a suggestion is that, uh, and a recommendation, is that parents would not let their children out on their own. Every other day, I'm living in a, a settlement here in El Quartini, in a rural area, 
and and till you meet children walking on their own, and I think that day is gone. Children can walk on their own. Parents should arrange that children in the street walk together, and that's not a hard thing for any parents to do. But I remember when I was a child in primary school, and that years and years ago, my my parents asked me to stay on an extra year in the primary school so that I would accompany my sister, my younger sister, that she wouldn't have to go on her own. Now, we were prepared as a family to do that, and and my parents were wise enough also, because I remember one time uh, going from the village to the school. It was only a few hundred meters up from the village, and a car stopped to pick me up. Now, the, the day of the village is gone. In the village, everybody knows everybody else. I knew mm-hmm. that these people were strangers, so I said no, and I ran away from the car and into the school, and I was almost at the school gate. So these things can still happen, but if the village day is gone, I don't, I don't think we can talk about that day anymore. It's just gone. I can tell you that. I experience it right here where I'm living. Is there no so, way of bringing it back? And that's because out? people are moving in cars now. They're passed by. They're not going to stop mm. every time they meet somebody on the street. People are, they have uh, safety uh, things in their homes, either dogs or electric fa- wires or something or something, even myself, uh, you know, security guards. So people can't get into the homes in the same way that they used to. So all these things are gone from the village that was. Everybody knew everybody in the village. You could walk into anybody's house when I was a child, and you were welcomed because you were somebody else's daughter. And reminiscing about the past there. And thanks for your call then, Pumalanga. We'll take one final caller before going back to our guest, uh, Hassan Lagat, calling in from Johannesburg. Hassan, good morning. Hi. You know, I tried uh, talking to my daughter, who was going on to six Leila, about what happened to this other child, and mm. I think it's something that we should try and do. Now, she wanted to know why are there no children's toilets in that. But, you know, I, I think that, that quite clearly we're talking about rural life, we're talking about poverty, we're talking about things like that far away. And I think we need to decide short-termly what, what is it that we can achieve. You know, Tabo Mbeki had said when he was the president that we will eradicate bucket system in six months, etc. And I think the radio has not mentioned that to all the government departments because this was a party program. It was a government program to eradicate these things a long time ago. The second point is that I think that uh, there may be some architectural or design issues that one has to try and suggest to, 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 to rural schools to ask teachers, and I've organized teachers before, to all go with the kids. It's really impractical. It may last uh, for, for a few weeks, and that's the end of it, because they have to be on playground duty. They've got to be everywhere else. They've got to check that other teachers don't molest kids. I mean, it's just too much to be asked. So some design issues may help to make sure that these kids have toilets that are appropriate for their age. Thanks very much for that call, Hassan Logate in Johannesburg. Sherian Kramer joining me in studio, research psychologist and Dr. Shahida Omar, clinical director at the Teddy Bear Clinic. Uh, Ms. Kramer, y- your thoughts on some of the suggestions that have come out from our listeners? Well, I mean, I think it's obvious that people do care. Um, I just really think that people are, are asking each other. They're asking us sitting here. Mm. They're asking the government, what can we do? So it's not that we don't want to help. I mean, it's obvious that we do. People just don't know what to do. And I think that, you know, a lot of NGOs in South Africa work very internally. I think it would do well to use our social media platforms, to use spaces like that to expose what is being done and what additional assistance is needed because people do care enough to do those kind of things pro bono. I mean, you know, there is 
an obvious sense of what can we do. Stop talking. I would like to do something. Mm. And I think that it's just that the NGOs that are doing something, the communities that are doing something, they don't talk outside of that because they don't believe that anyone else wants to help. But I think if we had to platform it to the rest of the country, I think that a lot of assistance would be offered and very happily offered. Um, and I just think it's about making things very transparent. This is what is being done. These are our options. Who would like to get involved? Where? How can I get involved? People, you know, aren't going to just do it on their own. They need to be pushed or offered something. Mm. So I think as soon as it's made more transparent or visible, there will be a willingness from various people in different aspects of our community structure to get involved. Dr. Omar, on this program before, we've talked about volunteering and that spirit of volunteership. And and it seems South Africans are prepared to come forward and volunteer when the cause requires them to do so. So what what programs are there available as a Teddy Blair clinic? I mean, are you working on something to get South Africans together and behind a project to ensure the safety of our children? Well, I think that the most important thing is we're doing a lot of community outreach where we speak to various people at different levels, uh, starting firstly with children. It was mentioned earlier by, by Shirley, uh, Kramer about ECD centers. We go and mm. speak to children at ECD centers. We do training with educators, with school governing bodies, with the caregivers out in the community, lay counselors. We also, you know, look at children's rights and work with other NGOs. Uh, government departments, so we're working at, on different levels, looking at the micro level, meso level, and macro level. With macro level, we're looking at, we're not looking, we work with uh, policy and legislation, promoting the best interests of children at all times. Uh, so I think in, 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 uh, what we are actually doing is obviously looking at how best to serve the best interests of children and to ensure their safety and protection. But this is a collective responsibility, working with the various stakeholders, people from the sex, like the FCS unit, the Family Violence and Child Protection and Sexual Offences unit, working with the educators, you know, with the Department of Education, where we've had meetings with the MEC around the very issue of safety of children and looking at uh, putting protective factors into place. So this is an ongoing Mm -hmm. challenge that we are addressing and dealing with. Dr. Omar, taking from what Sherianne was saying about, you know, our our NGOs working on these kind of projects, I mean, are are you doing this in in islands, in little silos, or are the NGOs working together as you would like us to do? Because, you know, you appeal to communities, you appeal to schools and teachers to work together together to, to arrest the problem and to improve child safety. But, I mean, as NGOs, are you working together so that you speak with the United Voice, so that there's one platform that South Africans know, here's a place I go to to volunteer in my community. Here's a place I go to to help at my school. Here's what's needed in the community of Kailicha, for example. I mean, is it, is it, where is that, that unity among the NGOs? Thank you for asking this question. I think it's critical in understanding that the move has certainly been where NGOs have realized that they cannot work in isolation or in silos, but they need to work together. So I think a lot more forums have been created, your child protection forum, uh, the Shukumisha campaign, um, and there are other forums where, people, where NGOs are gathering together and mobilizing action to protect children. 
But I think, again, sufficient has not been done. It's not that sufficient work has been done. But we have learned lessons that working in silos is not the solution. Working together and collectively is the way forward in ensuring that children can be protected. Shirian? Um, I agree. Um, I think also, you know, we, we just to go back to Dr. Omar's point about protective factors, there is a very strong focus on risks and what is deficient in communities and what is missing and what the problems are. What do we need? And I think there is a need to shift that focus to an asset approach. What do we have? What are the resources that we can mobilize to assist our children? And what are the protective factors that exist that we can promote and, you know, really get the community to draw on those existing resources? Because, you know, instead of sitting there going, well, the government hasn't provided this or that, there are structures that are available that we just don't often recognize. So I think it is about, you know, shifting our focus to what are the available protective factors and how can we really focus on those, strengthen those so that we don't have to focus on our our deficits, focus on our needs, but really, you know, take what we do have and use it towards our, our benefits to our community and to our children. We'll take one more caller, 0891-104-208-34701, if uh, there's any SMSs still to come through. Haley in Gauteng says, The biggest challenge that we face as South Africans is that we do not care for our neighbor and our community. This is a wider societal challenge. The only solution is to address this via government programs and a process of dialogue to help address these issues openly across all ethnic groups. I'm sure it's also a challenge for us to address it within our own selves. What sort of barriers do we put up uh, within our own minds that prevent us from from engaging with others? Um, John writes in, the root of the problem is that there's no fear of God in our society. We're taught that we come from the apes and now we behave worse than them. Uh, Unsigned SMS, some definite Causes are the impact of violence on TV, the absent parent syndrome, disrespect for women mothers, solutions, sincere concept of your child is my child. And uh, one final SMS, Metro Police are aware of beggars with children on St. John's Bridge and Pinetown, KZN, for many months now, but it's still not stopped. Why not? 34701 if you'd still like to write in. I, I'd like to, in the, in the last few minutes, we've got about six or so minutes left, I, I'd like to find out Things that we can do right now. So if, if I'm sitting at home or, you know, wherever I'm sitting ar- around the country and I want to do something, I feel motivated by what I've, le- what I've heard, I feel the problem's big enough, but I want to do something and I want, I want this program to tell me what to do. So I'm going to put that challenge to both my guests this morning. Uh, Dr. Omar, perhaps you can first answer this question. What, what is it that I can do right now? Is there a website I can go to? Is there a number I can call? Who do I speak to? What's my first action that I need to take as an individual before I even start looking to government and all the failings and inadequacies that we have there. What, what do I do in my own life? And we'll, I think Dr. Omar has just dropped. So, Sharian, I'm <laughs> going to put the question to you. <laughs> a lighter moment that we have here on such a serious topic. But h- how do we do that as an individual? Well, I think, firstly, it really is about starting at home. How do I treat my children? How do I want my children to be protected? Um, and really implementing the values that I believe in. You know, if, 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 if those values start at home, that will be followed through in the other spaces, like the children will follow that through at school with younger children and so forth. And then to kind of answer your broader question, there are a million NGOs doing good work in this country, and really it, it's just a kind of Google search away, you know. Um, there's Childline, there is the Teddy Bear Clinic, I mean, there's Coronation Children's Hospital Clinic, there, there are kind of broader community centers 
all the community clinics focus on children. They provide with childcare. Um, it's and I mean really the onus is also on the parents to get the children to the, that space. Mm. So just a simple thing like immunisation. I know that there are some communities at the moment in the southwest of Johannesburg that have mobile clinics that go to people's homes and do the immunisations. But why are we so lazy? You know, it's your responsibility as your as a parent to take your child to clinic to get immunisations. So it's really about promoting what, you know, what are you, education? What do I need to, to do to be a good parent? And not necessarily as a biological parent, but as a parent of a community of children. How can we ensure that the children are well fed, immunised, protected against injury, drowning, burning, and uh, like simple things like teaching your children that you know. There, this, this, this is a poisonous substance, or not putting a poisonous substance in an empty Coke bottle and leaving it on, in the kitchen. Mm. These are simple things we can teach people. And I mean, it's really just about, I, I know that EMS, our emergency services, there's a great program called Learn Not to Burn. And they need volunteers all the time. Um, and it's really just about going to different schools and teaching children what to do if there's a fire, what electrical appliances to touch, what not to touch, how to, you know, be safe in those spaces. Um, so there are things going on all the time. I just don't think that those things are being engaged by the broader community. There needs to be more of a dialogue. Um, and I think that maybe, you know, we can develop a, a page or we can say these are the available websites that you can access if you want to help. Well, Dr. Omar, I think we have you back on the line. Something that sherri was saying here is that, you know, something that we can do right now is that we can contact an NGO and enlist as a volunteer. Even at, at your organization, we can do that. But in your experience, how prepared are NGOs for someone to call them up and say, I want to be a volunteer? How prepared are they to, to have a program for that person to go through? Well, I think um, many NGOs do have uh, programs volunteers, so they, they are actually equipped where they have training programs that are documented and they've implemented and they have infrastructure where there's ongoing monitoring, supervision and evaluation. I know that um, they recruit, many NGOs recruit volunteers because they, they cannot function without support of NGO uh, volunteers simply due to financial constraints and the inability to employ additional staff. So they are, you know, that they have infrastructure. But I think it is important to understand that uh, a lot of the volunteers do not have the financial need or resources to even travel to the NGO or to, to, to uh, you know, they cannot afford transport to provide that kind of support. Whilst they may have the willingness and the will to provide support, they may not have the means to ensure the sustainability of that kind of support. So I think we again need to hold government departments accountable, departments of social development, departments of health, departments of education. You know, the various government departments need to come to the party where they allocate uh, resources like financial resources, budgets are created and allocated specifically towards this. And this will then enable NGOs to provide this kind of support uh, and programs in terms of rollout. Uh, I heard Sherry in talking about, you know, where parents are equipped. But I think it's important to look at positive parenting, making them aware of dangers, what to look out for. You know, she mentioned something about burns and, and other risk factors and dangers that are, uh, children are exposed to. So it's also 
how to communicate with children because I think the the, the one uh, factor or challenge that parents often face is they're not in a position or not equipped in how to communicate with their children or, or what to say to their child and, and provide appropriate information, age-appropriate information. So these are the kind of things that will, can be addressed if we get government departments coming to the party, making those financial resources available, then NGOs can go out there and implement uh, these kind of, the, this, these specific programs with the support of volunteers, where volunteers can receive a stipend uh, for their commitment to this process. And Dr. Shahida Omar, we'll have to leave it there with you, Clinical Director of the Teddy Bear, Teddy Bear Clinic and Sherry Ann Kramer, Research Psychologist. Thank you for your time as well this Thank morning. Thank you. And, of course, if you'd like to help, you can do so. Just get in contact with one of the various NGOs around the country, the Teddy Bear Clinic, the, the uh, Child Protection Forum, the Childline, Shukamisa, Chuck for Cancer, EMS. There's a, literally a wide variety of areas that you can go to. So just try out and see if you can volunteer, and perhaps you can help to save a life. 34701, thank you very much for writing in on our SMS hotline, tweeting us, Facebooking us, and emailing us today. And thank you for your calls. From myself, Dasha Midley, and our team, we'll do it again tomorrow, 6 to 9 a.m.